0: Good morning, everyone. So good to have you with us this morning. We've been celebrating baptisms all weekend and it's been a great joy. Today we're beginning a new series called God and Your Bod. God and Your Bod. Today we've subtitled it Back to the Beginning. And what we want to do in this series is we want to try to understand God's original design, creative design and purpose for the human body. And if we can get God's best idea of the use of our bodies and we'll know better how to honor and please him in our lives. So I've chosen as our text today from Matthew chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, you can open them up or turn them on and reference Matthew 19. I'm going to read the first 12 verses there. Of course, we'll project the words on the screen. You should know that I've taken cues from this series uh, off the work of two people. One is Dr. Tim Tennant, who's the president of Asbury Theological Seminary, and he did a series of lectures in the seminary last year on this subject, and the second person is from Pope John Paul II. Pope John Paul was pope about 30 years ago, and originally was from Poland, and was instrumental when the Iron Curtain fell, and Poland was liberated, and the Soviet Union imploded. He was a very, very substantial leader in the world as he uh, led the Roman Catholic Church about 30 years ago. So Pope John Paul II actually wrote a series of books on the subject entitled The Theology of the Body. A very, very helpful study, theological work. So these are the two reference points for me in this series. And again today, God in your body, back to the beginning. So if you have your, your Bibles with you, you can turn now to Matthew 19. Our custom is to stand to hear God's Word. So thank you as you're able for doing that. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? He replied, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Now note, his response to this pretty straightforward question is to remind them that at the beginning, so he wants to take them back to the beginning in order to get context for the answer. He said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away so they get more specific and what we're talking about specifically is when Moses permitted this to happen divorcing your wife Jesus replied Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard now watch this next phrase look at it closely but it was not this way from the beginning again he's taking us back to the beginning I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said, well, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not even to get married. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born this way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. May God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, we're living in a brave new world as it relates to human sexuality and marriage and the human body. Uh, Bruce Jenner is now Caitlyn Jenner. You can hardly watch any mainstream network programming that does not include a gay or lesbian couple and present them as normal, acceptable, and a very large portion of the general population. Transgender persons are featured on many reality TV programs produced anywhere from Survivor to American Idol. Mainline denominations like our own, the United Methodist Church, are wrestling with the LGBTQI question, whether to embrace and endorse the inclusion of any person on the LGBTQI scale into full participation in the church. And this is the new cultural landscape that we're walking. Uh, And so the question is, what are we to do? How are we to sort these things? What is our response to these new mores and practices? And perhaps more importantly, let me just remind us that it's not simply enough for folks of the faith, especially from a faith that recognizes the value of historical traditions and what appears to be the clear teaching of Scripture on some of these questions, it's not enough simply to be suspicious of something that appears to be contrary to these traditions and and the scripture. In our culture, to say it another way, it is inadequate, woefully inadequate to simply state your opposition to a particular behavior or practice that involves sexuality, marriage, or the use of the physical body. So we have all kinds of things happening in our culture right now. Everything from divorce, adultery, fornication, digital pornography, same-sex marriage, gender reassignment, and it's a growing list of issues. It's a huge landscape, and these issues need and must be considered. So it's going to require a whole lot more than merely making a list of five reasons why same-gender same attraction is not good or, or, or gender uh, reassignment is, is bad. What we need, in the church in particular, is a clear theology, a proper understanding of what God thinks about such things. It needs to be thoughtful. It needs to be biblical. It needs to be historical. It needs to be sensitive. It needs to be reflective about what God might think about human sexuality, marriage, and the body. Now, let me just submit to you as we lay a foundation for this series that when you study the, the, the profile that the scripture, the image that the scripture provides for us of human sexuality, marriage, and the body, I would, I would just contend that it is so beautiful, it is so profound, it is so glorious, that if we would learn to practice, believe and practice what God's original intent designed for our bodies are, that it would probably inspire others to want to enjoy this wonderful practice. And one other thing before we launch into our text that these are not new questions. Questions that we're asking in our culture today are questions that have been asked before in some variety and form, and so they're not new. Every generation to one degree or another has to wrestle with these things. It just seems to be even more profoundly important to try to get some answers to these questions in our day. So as we consider Matthew 19, a very simple straightforward question is being asked by Pharisees. Now granted, they're trying to trip Jesus up, trying to catch him, test him with this question. Uh, Their motive's probably not all that good, but the question was straightforward. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Now, you would think that that would be such a straightforward question that you could almost answer the question with a yes or a no, but many times when you see Jesus being questioned in the New Testament he rarely gives you a straightforward answer because he's always going deeper. He's always getting below the surface. He wants to understand the heart and the motive of the person asking the question. And so he wants to wants to deal with the motives. And he wants to understand the real issues. And so this question: can a man divorce his wife for any reason at all? If Jesus, imagine, if Jesus were here physically present in the room today, and it was q a time with jesus one of the relevant cultural questions that we might ask uh, we would probably wouldn't go is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason i mean we've already like dealt with that one we just say oh yeah yeah you can get divorced for any reason oh yeah we're, we're way past that we might ask jesus is it lawful for a man to marry another man We might ask ask Jesus, is it lawful for a man to become a woman? And then wait for his response to that, because that would be interesting, wouldn't it? That would be helpful, perhaps. And so Jesus, Jesus is always moving toward the motive of the question and then attempting to answer the question in a way that will actually leave us more profoundly impacted by it. Years ago, when John F. Kennedy was in the White House, he called for the... He called for the White House gardener, and he wanted to plant a particular fruit tree because he admired this particular particular plant. And when he talked with the gardener, the gardener said, well, I'm aware, I'm, I'm familiar with that tree. And he said, it is a beautiful tree, and it does have a beautiful bloom every spring. But something you should know, Mr. President, is that once you plant that tree, it does not bear fruit for 40 years to which President Kennedy looked at him and smiled and said, well, then, you better plant it this afternoon. Yeah, so you get the, you get this impression with this subject right now, and this is kind of how I feel and I'm, and I'm approaching it, that right now we're just planting the tree. We're just sowing the seeds, if you will. I don't have any uh, illusions that the trends, the mores, in sexuality and marriage and the and the and the use of the human body in our culture is gonna change anytime soon. I I don't have any I don't have any misunderstanding about that. I don't think I don't think these trends and these mores are gonna change any time in our lifetime. But I can tell you, sooner or later, one way or another, they will change. So all I see myself doing, and maybe you might agree, is that we're about planting the trees may take 40 years for fruit to be seen, but we're going to sow the seeds because we want to be faithful and true to God's word and to his best design. So three points I want to make this morning as we lay this foundation. The first one, it's on your outline, is this. We have a body. We have a body. Now, when you read the commentary about Genesis chapters 1 to 3, this is the creation. In the beginning, God created And so he creates the cosmos, he creates everything in it, and then he creates the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And the first three chapters of Genesis contain this creation order. And so most of the the scholars and the commentators over time comment about the process or the timeline or, or, or the specific identification points along that created order. Uh, Many folks in contemporary times want to try to compare that to what we might understand as evolutionary theory. Was it a literal six days or did it take a lot longer than that? So people speculate about these things. Okay. One thing you don't find much in Genesis 1-3 to is you don't have a lot of commentary about the theology on human sexuality. And the theology of the human body. But these are the first bodies that are on the scene. Of history, and maybe God is saying something to us through this creation. I believe He is. So, in verse four of our text, Jesus now trying to answer this question, He says, Haven't you read that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female? So, that's the first response He makes to the answer the question, Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Don't you remember that in the beginning God made them male? and female now if 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 you if you simply see that male female as a biological designation or a functional designation which it is of course male and female that's not all there is there there's also i think profoundly theological implications when god says i created them male and female so, the problem today is actually much deeper than we realize. The problem isn't merely that we can't convince people not to consider non traditional lifestyles with their bodies and sexuality. The problem actually goes deeper. And the, and the problem deeper is what was God's original creative design and purpose for the human body? And once we get that, then we'll have a better idea of how to practice the use of these things. Now as you all know the United States Supreme Court has ruled that same-sex marriage is now legal. So marriage now has been defined, designated, designed as a means of companionship, of happiness, of sexual fulfillment, of economic efficiencies. So literally marriage now redefined between two persons for these reasons I just mentioned. So therefore in our culture the new definition of marriage is a commodity, it's something we consume, it's very practical in nature, companionship, happiness, sexual fulfillment, economic efficiency, and unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ in America has also, for the last 40 years or so, embraced this cultural definition of marriage. We too think marriage is about happiness, social stability, companionship, sexual fulfillment, and the problem there is That as soon as you accept the cultural definition of marriage and it starts warping and morphing away from traditional definition of marriage that the church has held for for centuries, (laughs) as soon as you accept the culture's definition of marriage, now you can't push back when you you say from the church, well, you know, maybe that's going too far. Maybe that's too far away from original design. Maybe that's too much uh, different from tradition. And so when the church caves into the new definition of marriage, then it loses its authority to speak into the changes that may feel excessive. So once we accept the wider cultural, social, biological, pragmatic, consumeristic view, then marriage is something like any commodity that you have to get returns on. So for example, if I'm not happy or fulfilled with this woman, then maybe I'll take a man. Or if I'm not getting the kind of emotional returns expected as a man, then I'll choose to be a woman. If the commodity doesn't produce, then I'll, I'll go and buy another. I'll just discard this one and go pick me up another. And that's what a commodity culture does. All of this made possible because of our wrong concept and definition. Now, let, let me just say that this is a long way. This new cultural definition of marriage, for example, is a long way from God's original design because original design has about it covenant, not commodity, not merely a contract between two people but a covenant it's a whole different definition for covenant god's idea is sacramental that marriage is a sacred thing for this cause a man shall leave his father and lover uh, mother cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so it's it's about covenant it's about sacrament sacred things in a couple of days i'm going to preach the funeral of uh, one of our oldest living members. Uh, Gladys Maine has passed away. Gladys is uh, 95, I think. Her husband, Laverne, is still living. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll find out exactly how old he is. I, every time I ask him, he can't remember. <laughs> I th- we think he's about 97. If Gladys had, had kept percolating until November... They would have in November celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. Wow, big wow. Wow, big wow. Can you feel, when I tell you that story, can you feel covenant? Can you feel sacramental? How about companionship, happiness, sexual fulfillment, economic efficiencies? Can you feel the contrast? That's a long way from covenant. Long way from sacrament. Long way from the image and likeness of God made in his image and likeness. A long way from the profound mystery of the empowerment that God gives a man and a woman in covenant marriage to reproduce another human being made in the image and likeness of God with an eternal soul. Maybe the most profound mystery that occurs with the human body. Is God allowing us to enjoin him in the creative process? It's awesome. It's amazing. So we know that sacraments, we, we say covenant or sac We know that sacraments, sacred acts, in the Protestant world, we recognize two sacraments in the church. One is water baptism, which we've just practiced today. The other is communion, the Holy Eucharist, where we, where we gather and memorialize the sacrificial work of jesus christ we break bread symbolizing his broken body we drink from the cup representing his blood shed for us and 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 so we recognize these sacraments but john paul ii he came along and he asked this question we know that these these practices are are sacraments sacred acts that allow us to experience god's presence in theological terms in church terms this is called a means of grace Let me teach you that phrase, a means of grace. Means just simply meaning a method, a manner, a mode, a medium, an instrument, a process, a procedure, a means of grace. So it's like a conduit of God's blessing or favor, his grace. And so a means of God's grace is in these sacraments. But Pope John Paul asked this question, what if there are other means of grace? And he said, what if we might consider the human body as a means of grace. In other words, the human body actually becomes a conduit or a a medium through which we experience God and other people can experience God through us. Now follow this because I think it's a very strong argument that the human body is actually a means of God's grace, that we can actually connect theology with anthropology through the connection of our human body, that we can experience Almighty God in a personal, significant, life-changing, transformative way through our physical body. Let me give you some illustrations of this. The Apostle Paul comes along and he teaches the church at Corinth and he says, do you not know that your body, your physical body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So in other words, the teaching is clear in the scripture. This occurs again in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, when Paul says we are indwelt, our physical bodies are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So when we say yes to Jesus, become Christ followers, the Bible promises that the very Holy Spirit of God actually comes inside of us so that we become inhabitants of the Spirit of God. We have inside of our bodies, we carry around the presence of God in the Holy Spirit. That's pretty profound, isn't it? That's amazing. Again, our bodies becoming a means of grace. When we when we performed this sacrament of baptism just a moment ago, what is it we put under the water? Put a body under the water. So th- so these 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 men were experiencing this morning as a means of grace. They they connected us with God and they experienced God in their bodies. When we receive communion, and we will do this in a few weeks during World Communion Sunday, when we. When we take the the bread and dip it in the cup, what do we do? We ingest it into our bodies. When, When we pray for people who are sick, the scripture instructs us to lay hands on people who are sick. So one body touching another body, conferring the healing grace of God. We commission people to serve in vocational ministry or send them on the mission field by laying on our hands and commissioning them. The Bible says that we actually become Christians. We are saved forgiven of our sins when we believe in our heart that, that, that Jesus has been raised from the dead and we confess with our mouth, with our lips. So salvation actually occurs because of the function of our human body, confession with our lips. Isn't that interesting? We hear the truth of God's word just like you are today with your ears. We read it from the scripture with our eyes. In all of these different applications, we discover that Pope John Paul was probably correct, that our human bodies, our physical bodies, are actually a means of God's grace, that through our bodies, we make what is invisible actually visible. It is, it's a profound thing. You know, so I'm just not quite sure I'm going to agree with all that. Okay, here's the, last, here's the last piece. God thought the perfect way to reveal himself to us was by sending his son who took a body. One of these days when we meet Jesus, let me tell you what's going to happen. When you meet Jesus, he's not a ghost. He's in a body. We're going to see him in his body. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. His body has been transformed from mortal to immortal. He's in his body. So we begin to appreciate the body. So when God looks at your body, he goes, he loves your body. Why would God love your body? Because this is how God provides his grace to you through your body. He thinks your body's perfect. Not because it is perfect, but because it's his way of connecting with us. So we have a body. We say, thank God we have a body. (laughs) Praise God, I have a body. It's not perfect, but I've got one. And God can touch me through it. Let's go to the second idea. Now, here's what Jesus is communicating to those Pharisees that day in response to their question. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus now wants us to understand and comprehend Adam before the fall. So this is Adam in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world, before original sin occurred, before Adam sinned and took, took fruit from the forbidden tree, and sin... Came to the world. We know, that, we know that the first Adam failed and brought death and destruction into the world. But the Bible's clear that a second Adam has come to the world, and that's Jesus Christ. And because of his work and the accomplishment of his work, he has brought restoration, redemption, and hope to the world. So our theology is a two-Adam construct, if you will. We, we have the first Adam who failed, brought death. We have the second Adam who succeeded and brought life and hope. And so we have these two Adams. So now in Matthew 19, Jesus, in response to the question, can a man divorce his wife for any reason, says, I want you to remember Adam before he failed. Back to the beginning. The pre-fall Adam. And so he's quoting pre-fall Genesis when he said this phrase about Adam and about divorcing your wife and any other question that we might have that's relevant in our own contemporary culture Jesus says, yes, yes, I I realize that Moses did issue a decree of divorce that people could utilize, but from the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, it wasn't like that. From the beginning, it was not so. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and Jesus is saying to us, now follow it, the original design for marriage, human sexuality, and the body still remains intact God's original purpose God's original creative design God's original idea for the human body is still the same today as it was then I'll put the statement on the screen because I want you to catch this just because the first Adam failed and our world is broken doesn't mean the original design and standard for sex marriage and the body has changed when indeed it has not God hasn't changed his standards you know, once that was okay, now that's now not okay. Once that was not okay, and now that's okay. That's not the way God orders the world. And so Jesus is responding to this question by saying, okay, Moses had hardness of heart. And his generation had hardness of heart. They turned their back on God and God's best plan and design. And so in order to accommodate their dysfunction, Moses issued this decree so that men could divorce their wives. And he says, I understand this is a result of human sinfulness, this hardness of heart, people deviating from the original plan, but through it all, and this is what Jesus was saying, he said, yes, I understand the history, I understand the patterns, I understand Moses' day, I got all of that, and I even understand current practices. But from the beginning, he said, this was not so. I get it. I understand the mores. I understand times have changed. I understand practices are different. This is because of hardness of heart. People rebel against God's best plan. This happens. So I get it. The world is broken. People are confused. Stuff happens. Life happens. And so I get it. The reason that Moses was able to issue a, a divorce decree was for all these reasons. And Jesus agreed that that all happened. Then he says, but from the beginning... This was not so. This was not so. Now, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us, for example, with the question of the LGBTQI community? What about our brothers and sisters who are in in that arena, and they're struggling with that, and they wrestle with that, and, they, and they, they're conflicted by that, or they're in pain over that, or there's confusion and fear, all this... All this activity around the LGBTQI question, and it, it just surfaces all over the place. And I, and I understand that I've been preaching to people all weekend who struggle, some of you struggle with same-sex attraction, with gender identification, uh, and all kinds of questions of, like these. And so the answer, the answer we have for each other when we have this kind of question is simply this. We just include everybody. We love everybody, we welcome everybody. I I get this question all the time from people in the LGBTQ community. Would you be offended if I came to your church? Would would your church be offended? Would I feel uncomfortable? I got this question just this last week. And I responded by saying, I'm not gonna be uncomfortable. If you're a a person in the LGBTQI community, look, just come and get in the boat because we're all in the same boat. You're not special because you struggle with that stuff. You're not special because of that. That's just one of the struggles. Fact is, all of us struggle. We're all in the same boat. Someone says, well, I'm LGBTQ or one of those categories. Would you be uncomfortable if I was in your church? Why would I be uncomfortable with that? Because there's nothing, there's nobody here but sinners. Nobody here but confused people. Nobody here but people who are lost (laughs) trying to figure it out. Did you hear these testimonials this morning? Come on, folks, this is, the, this is real life. Church isn't a place for people who've got it all figured out. This is, a, this is a place for people who are trying to sort it best they can with the support of people who are on the journey with them. We're trusting in Jesus this way. <laughs> let, me just, let me just clear something up. You say, will you be uncomfortable with me? Listen, I'll, I'll tell you the guy I'm most uncomfortable with is me because <laughs> I have to live with me. So, what kind of church do you have? A church full of sinners? Well, you know, I'm gay. Is it okay if I come to your church? Listen, we got liars and thieves and adulterers and everybody else you can name in the church. Why wouldn't you want to join? And come on, just get in the boat. Let's sort this out together because nobody's got it figured out. We're just a bunch of beggars offering each other a little crust of bread called the grace of God. Not uncomfortable with you, I'm uncomfortable with me. I don't know, about you the hardest person I have to live with is myself. I got issues. <laughs> I'm not I'm not perfect. I've already confessed to you. I've already confessed to you a number of my sins. <laughs> people people, you know, in the LGBTQI, you know, community say, "Listen, God made me this way. I was born this way. Listen, don't tell me your problems. I was born the way I am." I got issues. I know I was born the way I am. I didn't learn this stuff. And part of my confession is I'm heterosexual. I was born that way, okay? And I've already said this out loud. I'll say it again. I've wanted to have sex with every pretty girl I've seen since I was 12 years old. I got, I got problems. I have a situation. Now, listen to me. I have to manage my sexual energy. If I don't manage it and submit it to the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life, I got no hope. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do something that's not going to be helpful. The only, the only way I can stand here and say, you know, as it turns out, I've only had sex with one person my whole life. There she is. <laughs> that's it. And that's by the grace of God. Are you hearing me? So my sins are lust, greed, avarice, gluttony, pride. (laughs) My top list is like the seven deadly sins, and then I go down from there. It's really, it's I'm in trouble if I don't have God's abiding grace in my life. Are you listening to me? So, what do we? How do we respond to our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQI community? We just, we just want to love you. We want to fulfill the law of Christ, which is love your neighbor. As yourself, any questions? Just love people. Because we're all in the same struggle. Every last one of us. But having said all of that, listen to me, it doesn't lower the standard or the expectations that God has set in place. Because in all of these categories of sinfulness I've just been describing, Jesus responds to us by saying, if we ask him, is, I mean, is it okay if we, if we do those things? Jesus responds by saying, I understand that you're doing them. I understand that's a trend. I understand why, you know, you're broken and confused and you practice these things and you're not sure why. Then he concludes, but in the beginning, this was not so. And you, and you just can't shake that off. So, I might say, Can I have sex with anybody I want to? Hmm. Why would you ask a question like that? Jesus might ask. (laughs) Because I want to. Well, have you changed the definition of proper management of your sexual energy to say whatever makes you happy, whatever is convenient for you, whatever gives you fulfillment, whatever is of economic efficiencies? Maybe you need to reconsider the real definition of marriage it's about covenant and about sacredness, and about self-donation, selflessness, sacrifice, giving yourself totally to another person. And in that self-sacrifice, you find for yourself fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy. That's God's plan. So you don't want to lower that. Or do you want to come off of that? Because that's actually what's best. Last point I want to make. I'll say this quickly. This is Adam as image bearer. We're laying a foundation now, image bearer. Now think about this Justice Kennedy of the United States Supreme Court, when they redefined marriage, the legal definition of marriage in the United States, he wrote in his opinion. These words, and I quote, now listen to this carefully. He said, at the heart of liberty, the the very center, the very heart of liberty, freedom, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of the meaning of the universe, and the mystery of human life. Now follow this. Judge Kennedy comes along, and in his opinion, he writes, look, what we what we're saying with changing the definition of marriage includes this philosophical underpinning that at the heart of freedom of liberty is the right for every person to define their own concept of existence of meaning and the mystery and when we heard that as a culture we went yeah that's right Everybody should live and let live. Everybody should have their own choice about the way they're going to live and the way they're going to use their body and the way they're going to practice marriage and, and their sexuality. That's right. At the center, at the core, at the heart of freedom is the right to choose for yourself the existence, the meaning, and the mystery. And we said, okay, that's it. Now, if you're comfortable with that definition, let me just say here's where it breaks down it breaks down, if we all embrace that to be true and, and, and the most desirable. Where it breaks down is that we now no longer have what we would call a common good. We no longer now have in place the parameters around which all of us agree are the barriers to behavior. If everyone gets to choose... Their own understanding of existence, meaning, and mystery, then where is the agreed upon mores, ethics, and practices for our lives? And God knows that if we embrace that definition, how far a chasm is created between not just the common good, but from God Almighty's best idea and design for us. Because He actually puts guardrails in place for us, for our own good. And that's good and pleasing to him and beneficial to us. But in a world and a culture that says, look, I can do anything I want, any way I want, any time I want with any person I want, because that's my right at the heart of freedom and liberty is my right to do that. You can practice that way, but I can predict the future. This will not end in freedom. It will end in bondage because we will inevitably turn on on each other and attack each other. When the disagreement becomes too extreme. So now we have, in just a handful of years, we have what we can term lesbian, gay, bisexual, LGBTQI, queer, inquiring. And then why don't we add P? Let's add P to the current list, LGBTQI, P. What does P stand for? P stands for polygamy. Because I not only want to be married to her, I also want to be married to him. And the three of us want to be married. And so culture listens to that, and we go, well, we've gone LGBTQI down, down that road, so what's, a, what's an extra P? No big deal. Okay, polygamies included. All right, well, okay, we go from... The, now, you may think this is hyperbole, but listen, this is just the slippery slope, and I'm, just, I'm predicting the future. I'm telling you this, this will happen, so if it hasn't already. Because now we go LGBTQIP, polygamous, and I would we'll just put a B in there. What's the B stands for? B stands for bestiality. Because I love my goat, and I want to be married to my goat. I love my goat so much I want to be married to my goat. Now, you may hear that and you go, that's just, come on, that's offensive, that's so crass. It's i using that hyperbole to try to make a point. Hey, wake up. We are on the slippery slope. And if everybody's making up their own rules as they go, where's the common good? Where's the agreed upon limits? I don't have any. Where does God's opinion fit into this? Don't bother me with God. I don't believe there is a God. Don't, you know, wake up. We're more evolved than that. We're, we're, more, we're smarter than any human beings who have ever lived. And so we, we figured this out. We're, we're wiser than any human beings who have ever embraced such a phony notion that God exists. Okay, here we go. And I could start adding letters right now that would offend you and revile you down the slippery slope. But it's just a matter of time until all of them come up. What we learned from the Garden of Eden is a very important lesson relative to the authority and the power. That God has given to each one of us, because when God said to Adam and Eve, listen, that tree you don't eat from, and there will be consequences if you do, you understand that the incredible power, authority, and dignity that Almighty God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is the same authority and power that God gives to us right now, because He didn't just give them the freedom to choose between good and evil. And here's the distinction. It's very important. He gave them the authority to decide what is good and what is evil. And the Bible predicts that there would be a day when people would actually come to the place where they would call evil good and call good evil. We are living in those days. So not only do we have the the freedom to choose between good and bad, God says, I have given you the power to actually determine what is good and what is evil. And with that come the enormous benefits and potential that when we choose what is good and and choose God's best plan, from that flows God's pleasure and blessing and favor and fulfillment. The design for which we've been created is realized. But when we choose contrary to God's best ideal and plan, his original design, we unleash powerful consequences, not only into our own lives, but into the world. So we have to come to terms with this. C.S. Lewis and his beautiful allegory called the great divorce, it was a sanctified imaginations way of trying to describe hell. And if you have read The Great Divorce, you may recall that hell is described as a place called gray town, gray, G-R-E-Y, gray town. And it's just drab and it's dreary. It's kind of out of focus and there's no color. It's, it's just gray. And people there are there. They have bodies, but they, they don't have any substance. Their bodies don't have solidity. So when they walk on the grass, it hurts their feet. When they try to pick up a leaf, they can't do it because the leaf is too heavy because their bodies just don't have any substance. They want to move toward another person in a house, but the house moves away from them until homes, the houses in Greytown in hell itself are thousands of miles apart. So people who are there in Greytown are lacking substance and are completely and utterly in isolation and totally alone. And it's a horrific imagination of what it might be like. And finally, he concludes in this allegory that hell, Greytown, is actually just a speck of dust. Virtually nothing. And this is the consequence, friends, of choosing to live your life in a way that disregards God's original creative design. Because it takes from us Our substance. It takes from us our solidity. It takes from us our significance. The word for glory in the Old Testament is actually translated weight, W E I G H T, weight. We've been made in the image and likeness of God. We have have the touch of God on us. We bear the glory of God in our bodies as means of grace. And so don't be confused about the choices we make, when we choose wisely and well, we reap the benefits. When we choose poorly, resisting, out of a hard heart and an obstinate spirit, we reap the consequences of those choices. So when people push at me, you know, here here I am at this point in 2018 and the cultural circumstances we have, people say to me, you got to be careful what you say, Pastor Greg. You don't want to offend people. You want to turn them off. You know, people will leave your church and you won't be able to reach the younger generations because, you know, they're more open-minded to these things and blah, and blah, 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 blah. Here's what I'll remind you. Yes, I understand the current trends. I understand the current practices. I understand that it's complicated and complex and difficult and many people are confused And in pain and conflicted. And I I don't I'm smart enough to know that I don't understand it very well, but I understand pretty well the big picture and the way things are trending. So I get it. So when you say to me, look, people are going to live this way and there's nothing you say is going to stop it and it's going to keep going for a long time. I say, I agree. I agree with you. I get it. Yes, that's going to happen. But in the beginning This was not so. And he who has an ear to hear Jesus' answer to these important questions, I invite you to hear. Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for this important text of Scripture. We thank you for Jesus and the wisdom that he provides, the clarity he offers us. Help us, God, to understand well, And make the applications to our own lives. Because your original design and purpose is good. Everything you have made is good. And so help us. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.